the uh, the crew to uh, lead us in worship and praise. Yes, on our last Sunday here at um, KPCC, Kyla Park Community Centre, we were supposed to get three or four weeks' notice, and I got a phone call Tuesday from the guy who runs the office here at the AFL God Murray, and he said, look, we've got to be out next Monday. And I said, I thought we'd be getting three or four weeks' notice. And he said, yeah, apparently we got that three or four weeks ago. So <laughs> he was a bit of a shock too when that happened. So it's happened faster than we think, but I think it's all right. We've um, had the senior citizens' room on hold for us when we had to go, once we got that final go date. So we'll uh, pack a few things into a trailer and uh, organise ourselves. And instead of coming out of a storeroom each week, we'll be sort of coming out of a trailer each week as we pull that up alongside the hall. So looking forward to that, uh, in a sense. Um, it's probably a cleaner venue. Come in here today and I'm sure someone must have mowed the lawn in here because there was grass clippings all over the floor everywhere. I'm thinking, well, I haven't seen any grass growing in here, but someone's brought a lawnmower or something in. So uh, hopefully the next place will be a lot cleaner and... Uh, bit more functional in that way so um, but we do thank god we've been able to meet here for i think just short on three years now so um it's amazing how quickly time goes so we're looking forward to see what god does in the next place as we as we travel on down there and uh meet there as of next sunday at 10 a.m so um your same time different place kids have gone out all good Okay, let me uh, get our Bi- my Bible open here as we get organised. So, uh, John, uh, Gospel of John, as we continue to look at the life of Jesus Christ uh, through the uh, eyes of uh, the Apostle John, who's recorded him, and uh, we move into Chapter 5 uh, today as we look at that. Um, can any of you remember the old-fashioned thing called the checkbook? Here's a few, some people have, some people aren't. It was an old thing we used to write, you know, we'd write an amount on or write a name on, write an amount and you'd sign it off. I still do. Jan still does. <laughs> I didn't want to offend you, Jan, sorry about that. But for some it is sort of the old-fashioned uh, way of doing um, banking, I guess, and paying your bills and whatnot. And you'd sign your name and that would give the confidence for the bank to honour that cheque, providing you had the funds in the account, of course, to actually honour the cheque and it didn't bounce, as they say. Um, and that's what how a cheque was uh, written out. We, we mostly hardly use them today. <laughs> we have credit cards or we have internet banking, which is fast and convenient. That's how we sort of do most of our trade and business. But can you remember on those cheques that used to cross them, not negotiable? You put a cross, you put two lines and write in it, not negotiable. And that meant there was no room to move on that cheque. There was no negotiating who that was going to get paid to. That was going to get paid to the person who it was written to and for the amount that it was written out for. Um, when you crossed that cheque and wrote not negotiable, that just said, right, oh, that's it. Uh, what it says, it is. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. It's not negotiable. Well, Jesus today is going to give us his position uh, as we see it in chapter 5. And his position is going to be not negotiable. Not negotiable the way Jesus portrays it here in John chapter 5. So look. Open your Bibles up and we're going to read from uh, verse 19 through to verse uh, 29. Starting at verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, 
that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Father, we thank you uh, today again that we can open up your living eternal word, this word that is ageless, this word that still speaks to us today just as it spoke to believers as you intended for it back 2,000 years ago. Holy Spirit, we ask and pray now that you would bring power to this word. We pray that you would bring life to this word. We pray that you would bring light to this word. That you would begin to clear the fog or the mist that's in our minds or the confusion that maybe is in our minds about this world and about who you are, Jesus. Give us your help today, we pray, Holy Spirit, and we know that you want to do this for us. We ask that now all for the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we actually move into an interesting stage here of the life of Jesus Christ, as John the Apostle records it. Jesus now actually begins to enter into a uh, opposition stage or a confrontation stage here as John records the life of Christ for us. Over the next few chapters, Jesus won't be the flavour of the month. He won't be the poster pin-up boy in, uh, in all the cafes or uh, restaurants of uh, Jerusalem. In fact, a good number of Jews will now are beginning to plan and to plot for the death of Jesus. They actually want to kill him. This is where Jesus is going. Uh, and this is what happens, though, when Jesus brings this penetrating light of truth into this world. When it actually comes up against the darkness of this world, the light of uh, Jesus' truth, it exposes these hidden deeds of darkness and it makes things very uncomfortable for people. And that's exactly what is going to take place here uh, through what Jesus does and has done already leading up to this part of the Bible here. And what sets this chapter up? Because really this chapter, chapter 5, is one occasion, it's one event, it's one circumstance, it's one situation that's taken place. And what sets this chapter up is the preceding passage here, which is the healing of a paralysed man. Uh, There appears to be some sort of artesian thermal pool in Jerusalem where the blind, the lame and the crippled gather around to find relief. Just as we do today, people on the, on the what do they call them, the Grey Army, travelling up and down the coast in their caravans and pulling up at those artesian thermal pools and um, getting a bit of relief and respite from the um, sort of cleansing or healing properties of that sort of artesian water. Uh, it looks like the same thing here has happened uh, for this, these people here in Jerusalem. There's like a thermal pool and they're gathering around it. And there's a man there who's been crippled for 38 years, gathered around this pool with all the rest of them. Uh, Perhaps he's never experienced relief before. He's never been healed by these waters and here he is for 38 years around this pool. Jesus is wandering through Jerusalem and he picks him out of the crowd. There's a whole bunch or group of these people around this uh, artesian thermal pool and Jesus picks him out of the crowd, which sort of begs the question, why did Jesus pick him out of all these people gathered here? 
It's really just a picture here of the way Jesus calls us into salvation. We don't necessarily call upon Christ first. He actually comes and intervenes into our life and calls us to himself. Anyway, Jesus calls him out from this crowd and asks him, do you want to get healed? Do you want to be relieved of this paralysis you've had for your body for 38 years? Obviously, this man, this paralysed man, at this point in time, doesn't know who Jesus is because he responds to Jesus by saying, every time the water bubbles up, I can't get in there because someone else beats me into it. Some of the people thought maybe there was some sort of supernatural healing property to do with when it bubbled up even more or somewhat. And he's saying, every time I try to get close to it and drag myself down there, someone else beats me to it and I just don't get healed. Remarkably, somehow this man hasn't heard about the miraculous power of Jesus. He didn't know that Jesus could actually heal him with a spoken word. Jesus ignores what the man has said, even though he's saying, hey, I can't get into the water. And then supernaturally speaks a healing word into this paralysed man's body and uh, restores life into his crippled bones and his, as his, his paralysis as well. This man, uh, and, he, and Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. Uh, This guy's been crippled for 38 years, astoundingly feels this strength, as it were, pulsating, flowing through his body. And for the first time in 38 years, he gets up and he walks away and carries off his bed. Uh, A remarkable miracle that Jesus has just performed. Who knows in front of how many people he's done that. What follows on from that is this. There's a bunch of strict Jews who are nearby and they're not happy about this man at all. Not Jesus, this paralysed man. They're saying, what the heck are you doing carrying your bed on the Sabbath? They're not sort of you know, reflecting on the miracle here that Jesus just performed and the, you know, the greatness of this guy can walk now. They're saying, what the heck are you doing carrying your bed around on the Sabbath day? What is going on here? You know it's illegal to carry anything on the Sabbath. You know the laws of the Sabbath. You can't do any work. You can't carry this. Jesus finds us actually, and, and they say, who told you to do this? Who told the the crippled man, who told you to do this? Who told you to carry a bed on the Sabbath? Jesus then finds this guy, this uh, man who's been here a little bit later on, and he says this, see, you've been made well. You've been healed. Sin no more so that nothing worse will happen to you. And the crippled man goes away and he finds the religious Jews again and tells them, hey, the guy who told me to carry my bed on the Sabbath was Jesus. Up until this point in time, the guy who was healed didn't even know it was Jesus who healed him. Remarkable. Now starts the opposition to Jesus. They oppose him. The confrontation now begins. The religious Jews are not happy with him at all. And we start to see this here in verse 16, uh, just leading up to the passage we've just read. It says in verse 16, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Forget about you know, the remarkable thing of relieving this man of his 38 years of paralysis. Hey, you're doing this on the Sabbath, Jesus, and we're going to persecute you for that. We're going to harass you and torment you because of what you've done in breaking the Sabbath. So Jesus is harassed and tormented by the religious people of that day for just simply healing a man and telling him to carry his bed home now on the Sabbath. Jesus responds to them. But Jesus answered in verse 17, My father is working until now and I am working. Now, that wasn't a good thing for Jesus to say in the ears of those Jews of that particular day. Things get worse now for Jesus, according to these religious Jews, when he says that. And they respond like this in verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Persecutions ramped up. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, 
but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Massive claim, big claim of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus has totally upset the religious people today. He's come along and disturbed and exposed their comfortable religious lifestyle that they've worked out all for themselves to sort of pander their own needs and wants uh, for their little religious lifestyle. This now sets the scene for Jesus in the passage where we are now where he continues on and actually has a very long extended um, thing to say to them. If you've got your Bibles, you might see it could be in red if you've seen the words of Jesus in some Bibles. It's, it's a very long passage here where Jesus actually goes on and says quite a bit here to them. And what he does, he goes on to, uh, he doesn't back down or step away from what he's just said. He actually is equating himself to God because he's right, he is God. But he goes on further to say just who he is and what position he has as Jesus Christ. So let's pick it up now where Jesus declares himself to be the Lord of life and the judge of all, as we see that worked out through this passage. Jesus, the Lord of life. Jesus goes on to tell the Jews, hey, don't be surprised by what I've said. Listen to me carefully. I tell you the truth. I and the Father love each other. And as an obedient son, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I wish that was true of all sons. I only do what the Father tells me to do. As an obedient son of the Father, Jesus says, I do what the Father tells me to do. There is this oneness of the relationship here that I have with the Father. My Father and I are totally one, working together in total unity. There is no cross purposes when it comes to myself as the Son of God and as God the Father. So much so that we are working together and in total unison that the Father has given me the right to grant to people eternal life. This is what the Father has given to me. Jesus goes on in verse 21 to say that. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Jesus expands it further in verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus is saying, I am the Lord of life. He's making no equivocations here about dilly-dallying around about who he is. He's saying, that's who I am. I'm the one who has the authority to grant life. Jesus has total authority over life. God, the Father, loves the Son and who are working together in perfect unity and harmony has given this Son full authority in calling people to life, eternal life. And Jesus grants this life to whom whoever he wishes. He has total free choice in granting this life to whom he pleases. Jesus doesn't owe any favours to anybody. He doesn't have any debts to pay where he might just call somebody in because he might owe them a debt. Jesus does this from total free sovereign choice. Jesus has this power to grant eternal life. How does this take place? Well, Jesus does what he's doing here. He speaks out the truth of who he is and those who hear that truth will come to him. Jesus' word is all powerful. We've just seen here what he did with the crippled man. He just said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And the power of the the word of God through Jesus uh, has that creative power to create life and just the same here. He does this. He speaks the truth. And his saving word goes out and it creates life into dead souls. 
And we do the same thing today, not that I'm Jesus and not that any of you are Jesus, but we do the same work here of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the ambassadors of Christ making that same call and the Holy Spirit works through that same word as he wills. 2 Corinthians 5.20 gives us that where Paul's talking to the Corinthians and says, after a long passage, he says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, Paul says, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We carry on this same life-giving word of the gospel spoken out to people so they would receive eternal life. And with that, the Holy Spirit generates life with it as he pleases. We pass from spiritual death to spiritual life through what Jesus has done for us. And uh, verse 24 tells us that. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Hears and believes. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. We become alive to Jesus Christ and all that he is, and we enter into eternal life immediately. Jesus is talking about the present tense there. It's not something we have in the future. Now you might say, what does that mean? Okay, we have like a foretaste of the eternal life now. We have a foretaste. It's not the fullness. The fullness will come when our life in this physical body, this earthly body is over. Then we enter into the fullness of what eternal life is. And that is a life that we cannot even possibly describe. uh, As Peter called it, was joy unspeakable and full of glory. It was something that was nearly um, uh, incomprehensible. We only have a foretaste at this point uh, point now, but we go from death to life, eternal life, uh, when we become followers of Jesus. Jesus has the authority of life. He is the Lord of life. This is part of the response here that he gives to these Jews, not trying to, as it were, defend himself and just uh, try and make excuses. He's just trying to say, this is who I am. This is who I am. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus takes it further with them. These Jews are planning to kill Jesus for making himself equal with God. This is like, you can't say that, Jesus. This is blasphemy in their minds when you start to say this. Jesus answers them by taking it further than being the Lord of life. He said that wasn't enough for them. He takes it further and says, no, no, I'm the judge of all. I am the judge of all. Verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And again, Jesus takes it further in verse 28, 29, and he wants us to feel the weight here of what this judgment looks like. He says in verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Interestingly, Jesus says, don't marvel at this. Don't marvel at this. I'm sort of thinking we should be marvelling at this. But Jesus says, don't marvel at this. Basically, he's saying, if I'm the Lord of life, don't be shocked also that I'm the judge of all. So don't be sort of, you know, totally mystified here. Gee, if you're just the Lord of life, well, it seems really strange to be judge of all. Uh, judge of all. He said, don't marvel. This, this is just how it follows on. If I hold the power and authority to give life, I also hold the authority to judge all people. This is what the Father has given to me because we work together as one. We are a unified uh, trinity, as we know it from the Bible. Can we feel the weight here of what Jesus is saying when we think about that passage that's up there? He says, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. 
when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. If you just stop and think about that for a little bit, that's pretty big stuff. It's sort of nearly, it's earth shattering sort of to try and think about what's taking place or what's happening there. Unless Jesus returns, everybody in this room will die. That's just, as we say, the the two undeniable facts of life is death and taxes. Uh, You and I will be buried and placed in a grave or tomb. Jesus is saying, even in this grave, you will hear my voice. You will hear my voice. Everybody, uh, an hour is coming that all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Not only in this room will hear that voice, the word says all who are in the tombs, all the dead, all who have ever lived and have been placed in a grave will hear his voice from the grave and they will be called out to judgment. Think of everybody you know. Put them all together and then imagine them standing before Jesus as their judge, as, as they've heard him and they've been called to judgment. I've thought about this a few times and a couple of times I've sat in the Maud Street Mall um, when Laurel's done shopping and the girls are going backwards and forwards between shops. I've just sat there and I've just watched the masses of people sort of walk past the mall for about an hour or so, probably even longer sometimes I've sat there for those shopping things. (laughs) But I've sat there and I've just watched the people walk past and I just began to imagine sometimes, you know, about the voice of Christ from, from the calling from the tomb and they hear this voice. And all these people will stand before Jesus as their final judge. And I'm thinking about these people. Who knows how many have lived their lives in total ignorance of who Christ is. And now they're going to stand before this one they've ignored all their lives. And they've heard this voice within the graves. It's, it's an awe-filled thought as I think about it. If you, if you want to step that out, I mean, think about the MCG. Think about that filled with people. The last few nights has had 60,000, 70,000 people there. All of those people from the tomb or from the grave will hear the voice of the Son of God and they will be called to judgment. Take it further. Think about the 25 million people that live in Australia. They will hear the voice of the Son of God from the tombs and they will be called out to judgment. It's a staggering thought. It's a staggering thought. As I think of the masses who have perhaps cursed Jesus or lived in total um, uh, ignorance of Jesus, as I said before, and they will stand before him. They'll hear his voice and they'll stand before him. It really does take your breath away as you begin to think about uh, the awesomeness of who God is. And when it says there, you know, it talks about this, those who've done good to um, go to, the, you know, um, who are saved and those who are done bad to, to judgment. Let's not be confused here that it's about good deeds. Sometimes you can read that and think, what's Jesus mean here when he says this? Our salvation isn't based on works at all. It's totally on Christ alone and what he's done for us at the cross. Those who have done good, in the sense of what Jesus is saying here, really is those who believed and trusted in Jesus. And those who have done bad are those who haven't believed in Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying here when he says... Uh, to a resurrection of eternal life or to a resurrection of judgment. Jesus has been given all judgment from the Father and astoundingly here he's telling these Jews, hey, that is who I am. I'm the Lord of life and I'm the judge of all. Jesus loves these guys. 
He loves these guys. He loves all people. He wants to help these Jews. And in the context of the day when Jesus is there, he takes another passage of Scripture here and begins to actually point to these witnesses of the Bible that actually point back to him testifying to who Jesus is. And this whole chapter, as I said before, really is just one event. So this next passage, we're just going to quickly flick through four things here that Jesus shows that, hey, they are pointing towards me. They are pointing towards me as the Lord of life and the Son of God as God. First one here is in verse 33, 34. Jesus says it's John the Baptist. Think about him. You thought he was someone sent from, from God. You thought he was some type of a shining light. You thought he was a prophet. What did John the Baptist say about me? He said, I was the one who to look for who was coming. John testified to I am. You look to John, believe what John says. Another witness, Jesus says in verse 36. Jesus says, look at my works or my miracles. Look at what I've done. Who else can do this? Let them speak to you. I've just healed a guy who's been 38 years lying around this artesian thermal pool. Does that not say anything? He says, look in verse 37, 39, God the Father testifies about me through the Bible. The scriptures testify about me. Can't you see that the scriptures are pointing to me? He says, you're, you're combing through all the scriptures looking for eternal life and you can't see that these scriptures are actually pointing to me. I am eternal life. You've got to believe that the Bible's pointing to me, Jesus is saying. And the fourth one that Jesus says is verse 45, 47 of chapter 5. And he says again, hey, you Jews, you look to, to Moses as your guiding light. He is like the father of faith. He is the one that you sort of think is the one who leads the Israelite nation, as it were. He is the most revered prophet that you would have. Think about what Moses has said. He has already spoken of me. Jesus is trying to say, look, guys, look at these four testimonies that are pointing to me that I am the one that all of the Bible, all of the scriptures, and for their point in time, all of the Old Testament has been written about. It's me. These are the things that testify to who I am. Jesus said, if you won't believe these things said and written about me, then listen to this testimony here that you see from these other four testimonies that point towards me. You've got to see that I'm the Lord of life. You've got to see that I'm a point of the judge of all. All authority has been given to me from the Father. He's entrusted all things to me as the Son. Here's the first resistance that Jesus begins to confront here in John's Gospel with the Jews and the religious people. And he hasn't pulled back. He hasn't responded sharply to them. In fact, he's just gone out there in a very bold way and declared, proclaimed who I am. This is who I am speaks it clearly and loudly. And I think about that and I think here we are 2,000 years later and I'm asking myself, what does this event mean to us today? How are we to sort of apply this to our lives? When Jesus says these things, how are we to respond and think about how this works in my life today, 2017? Here's a couple of things that I thought of. First of all, nobody sits in a neutral position with Jesus Christ. Jesus made this really, really clear here in this passage. Nobody sits on the fence with Jesus and has a bed each way. You do not find a middle ground here with Jesus. You must either believe who he is 
or you totally reject who he is. You cannot sit in the middle and find some sort of happy medium. There is no middle ground with Jesus. There's only two choices. You believe who he is or you are rejecting who he is. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book called Mere Christianity. He had this to say about this passage uh, when he wrote this book. And he says this, In the mouth of any speaker who is not God, these words would imply that I can only regard as a silliness and conceit unrivaled by any character in history. So he's saying all these things that Jesus has said in these preceding verses, in the mouth of any speaker who is not God. If he's not God and he's saying these things, it's regarded as silliness, conceit and unrivaled by any character in history. He's an absolute fool and dill and a madman. C.S. Lewis goes on. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and you can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. There's a clear choice here that Jesus puts in this passage. There is no middle ground. You cannot put a foot in each camp. Jesus compels us to believe him and to receive life. And if we don't, we reject him as a madman or a fool and we receive condemnation and judgment instead. Clear choice that Jesus puts here. That's a direct application for us today as we think about what Jesus is saying and doing in this passage. Secondly, with Jesus, as I think about this passage again, it's not negotiable with who he is. It's not negotiable. As the Lord of life and judge of all, we are in no position to sit down with him at the table of life, call it eternal life if you like, and bargain with him about life, about eternal life. As though I can bring something to the table. We have nothing to stand on if I think I can bring something to this bargaining table here and I can sort of do a deal with Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He owes no man anything. We either come the way that he's provided for us, which is to confess our hopeless, sinful state and to put our complete trust in his death and to turn from this sin and to receive salvation that he offers freely. Or if we don't choose his way, we really are choosing condemnation and hell. He said that it's either life, believing in him, or it's condemnation and judgment. We must accept Jesus as Lord. Or don't accept him at all. Jesus as Lord, as my sovereign ruler. And this stand or this not negotiating state here really does go to the right, right to the heart of our sinful hearts. It does offend us. In our sin, we want to call ourselves Lord. We want to rule our lives. We want to be the ruler of our life. That's the choice that Adam and Eve made back in the garden, right back at, right back at the beginning of human history. They didn't choose God's way, they chose their way. They chose to dethrone God from ruling their hearts and to place themselves on the throne and become the Lord of their lives. And we ourselves today follow in suit. We resist being told what to do. We resist someone telling us, to do this or to do that or you must go here or you must go there. Nobody really enjoys being told what to do. That still is happening within us today. And this world we live in continues down this path. It wants to assume its own lordship. In this position where the world says, no, we rule ourselves. We dictate which way we want to go. So the world takes something like 
marriage. We've, it's hot on the, the, the agenda today. Uh, God says that marriage is uh, between one man and one woman. And the world says in its own lordship, no, 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 no. Marriage is anything you decided to be. The world says, no, I'll be the Lord of my life and I'll declare how things are going to go. With Jesus in his sovereign lordship, it is not negotiable. We don't come and negotiate life with Jesus in that sense. Jesus is to be believed, loved, served and obeyed without compromise, without any thought of trying to do any bargain with him. He is the Lord of life. We are in no position to negotiate with Jesus. Jesus, if I can just keep a few secret sins, if I can just satisfy a few lusts and a few desires, you know, I won't harm anybody. If I can just keep a few of those, you know, can I, can I some, do some sort of deal with you, Jesus? You know, if I can just look at a bit of stuff on the computer, if I can just feed a bit of lust on the computer, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm in the room all on my own. I'm watching it. No one else is watching it with me. Jesus, can I just keep a few of these things and can I bring them with me? Jesus, I'd just like to say a few words behind people's backs. You know, it's always said truthfully. I don't tell any lies about people, but I'd just like to say a few words behind. It's not really gossip. I'm not really sort of, um, you know, doing character assassination behind the scenes. But, you know, know, it's the truth, Jesus. Can't I just keep these things and sort of follow in and follow on, you know, into salvation? Jesus won't have that. It's not negotiable. A divided heart will never, ever truly call Jesus Lord. It can't. A divided heart won't do that. A divided heart really is a heart that is still ruled by ourselves and not by Jesus. Jesus is making it very clear here about who he is and what's involved. So as we look at this passage, we have to ask ourselves today these questions. How do we see Jesus? Do we see him as Lord? Is Jesus just a good man recorded of in history? And that's all he was. Yeah, he did some good things, but not quite Lord in my life. Or maybe, you know, as C.S. Lewis has put there, do, you know, is he just some sort of mad, crazy guy that would make this sort of outrageous claim? How do we see Jesus? Will you believe what he's saying here and uh, live for his glory in obedience without question as the Lord of life and the judge of all? Let's go back to verse 24 here, where Jesus really does uh, open up the grace that he gives to us. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus can say that because he is the Lord of life. And this is the grace that he's come to bring to call us from death to to life and to know eternal life as our Lord, as our glorious, loving Lord who laid himself down on the cross for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today that uh, you have given us uh, John chapter 5. God, thank you for the uncompromising position of Christ here. Lord, we don't want a Jesus who dilly-dallies around, flip-flops around and backwards and forwards. We want a Jesus, Lord, who knows where he's going and this is exactly what Jesus is saying to us today. He's been given the authority to grant life. He's been given the authority to be the judge of all at the end of time. And Lord, we can think of no one better to hold that position than the Son of God.
the one who grants life graciously and mercifully. Father, today we thank you that you've given this to your son. We thank you also that you've made him the judge of all because we know that Jesus is perfect in his judgment. Father, today I pray that you will help us as, uh, as we think about John 5 and think about this great salvation that Jesus has called us into, that you would see that, Lord, this is not negotiable for us. And that is a good thing. That is a good thing that we come on his terms because his terms are right and his terms are best and his terms are perfect. Please today, Holy Spirit, I pray, help us to see that. Help us to worship him as our Lord. Help us to obey him in all that he says, gladly and joyfully, understanding and knowing that what he has for us in our lives is best for us in our lives. Help us to have compassion upon these people, Lord, as we understand that Jesus is the judge and that these people will hear his voice from the terms. Help us to think about that today, just that awe-filled, that awe-inspiring picture we can put in our minds that the people in the tombs will hear the voice of the Son of God. May that propel us uh, into this community where you've placed us upon to share this good news of Jesus Christ today. Father, thank you for that now, and I ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Doug is going to come lead us around the uh, table of communion. I'm not sure who's on for handing it out. If not, can I get a couple to do it? And I might get um, Hayden, he's got his hand up, he's about to hand it out. Thanks Hayden, you can hand the elements out. And uh, Tommy, if you can give me a hand please mate, that'd be great. Thanks Doug. Thanks, Todd. Um, That's just a wonderful um, summation and interpretation for us on what Jesus and who Jesus claimed to be. I was doing a little bit of study and research to um, to share with you this morning, and um, a couple of the writers have really stated that what Jesus has said and what we've studied was actually Jesus's keynote address on on who he is what he's about and his purpose. So we shouldn't take it too lightly. I, w- I was led um, to um, an article or a commentary on Bible.org written by Bob Deffenbaugh, um, which really sums up again um, what Jesus was saying. And I think Todd has made it very clear from the text uh, that we've studied who Jesus was claiming himself to be and who he claims to be even now. It was also very clear uh, who the Jewish authorities believe Jesus claimed to be. It's just they didn't believe him. So the two most important questions we'll ever answer are these, which were summed up in that article by C.S. Lewis. Is Jesus right about who he claims to be? Thanks, Tom. Thank you. So, is Jesus right? I think most of us here agree he is. And if he is right, then what do we need to do about it? These are the most important questions in life that we face.
So what's our answer? The answer um, in the in the Gospel of John is is very clear. John states that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and uh, we we studied this a few weeks ago um, in John twenty thirty to thirty one, where John wrote this gospel to convince us of that truth and believe in Him. So, do we believe our Lord? Do we believe John? Do we trust in Jesus as our Savior, the one who died in our place and who bore the penalty for our sins? If we believe in him, our sins are forgiven and we'll have eternal life. We'll also escape eternal condemnation. If we don't believe in him, we're condemned already. Don't think there's any more of a frightening future than that which has been chosen for unbelief. And Jesus has made that clear. So, Len, let's take this biscuit and take this cup as we've been encouraged to do so down through the ages. Let's respond to him. Jesus, we, we believe you. We believe you as the Lord of life. We believe and acknowledge you as our Saviour. And we thank you, Jesus, and declare and proclaim your sacrificial death for us and the power of your resurrection until we see you again at your coming. Amen. Appreciate that. Just before we go to a song, um, any questions or thoughts from that passage at all? Anything's right? You shouldn't be talking during the sermon, Doug. Certainly there's an element of um, when we die, there's, there's a decisive decision that takes place instantaneously. So for those who are in Christ, Paul says in Second Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it's not like we go into some sort of soul sleep for the next, you know, whatever, a thousand years or whatever it might be. Could be could be tonight if we were to die and Jesus was to come back tonight. It's not like we go into some sort of soul sleep and we sort of, you know, totally oblivious to anything and all of a sudden then Jesus returns there's a sense where um, there's an immediate uh, decisive act when our life uh, ends here on this earth I think the judgment there that Jesus is referring to is sort of the final judgment okay so where where we see in Revelation the great white throne of judgment where that's a pretty awe-inspiring passage as well where everybody stands before 
um, God before Jesus and that's the final judgment that he's talking about so for those who aren't believers for those who do not for those who refuse to hear Jesus now and just go on living life their own way uh, they certainly will be in a place of um, judgment and condemnation and torment uh, immediately on the on the on the end of their last breath because you get this picture here of um, uh, the rich man and Lazarus it's in Luke where the rich man dies and he goes off to a place of torment and Lazarus who was uh, obviously a follower of God goes off to a place of comfort and rest so that you get this picture immediately when you die that's what happens so this judgment that Jesus is talking about is more the the final judgment like the judgment for all time where everybody stands before him Thanks, Lauren. You can uh, come up and uh, lead us in a song to finish off.